Breaking the bondage of self-deception. Almighty God, 
everything around us reaches out and tries to grab us, to take our attention, to take our money, to take our soul. From the lust of the flesh to the pride of life to the love of the world. Lord, I ask today that you would be very clear with each one of us and unfold for us the path, the straight and narrow path that would break this deception. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. When I was a young man, I wanted to be a pastor. But I could just as easily have decided to be an attorney or to be a policeman or to be a businessman. All the options were there. I had the ability to go in any of many directions and could have been successful at any of those options that I had chosen. But as time passed, those options began to close themselves out. I passed the age where I could be a policeman. I passed up the opportunity to become a farmer when a a farm was offered to me at a very reasonable price, and frankly, it was a great temptation. I always liked farming. And I said no, and the opportunity passed. When I look back through my life, And you also can do the same. You pass by many, many opportunities. Some you look back and say, that was dumb. I should have taken it. My life would have been totally different if I had taken that option. But it's too late now because that opportunity, the door has been closed. The door to that relationship has been closed. The door to that job has been closed. Many doors close as we make our way through life. The problem is when we go through life, much of the decision-making progress process we make is based on self-deception. And so we miss out on what God wants for us. Do I want to go back? No, I can't go back. My past is my past. I can't go back and redo it. I only have today. And so part of what I have to do is, in meditation, go back and review my history and watch for the patterns that have developed as I have moved along through my life. What decisions have I made? And what have the results of those decisions been? And am I happy with the results of those choices? Or do I wish I'd made another choice? And as we go step by step, and we examine the past history, and we see the doors of opportunity are closing on our life, and we seem to be now closed into this path, and we don't know how to get out of this path, Some of you have been closed in the path of addiction, alcoholism, drugs, sex, all kinds of paths. Some of you have been stuck in the path of seeking after money, seeking after stuff, 
But finally, when you reach a certain age, you look back and you see all that stuff didn't matter. And you would gladly exchange all of that stuff for what your heart really wants. But self-deception blocked you. You had no one you would listen to who would speak an honest word of truth to you regarding your specific situation. You understand, very few people will speak the truth. They're too much invested in keeping you happy with them. You might get angry with them if they really spoke the truth. Because you might just blow them out of the water. I tell you, treasure that person who will speak honestly to you a word of truth. You probably won't recognize it when it's being spoken depending on how deep the self-deception is. Sometimes in my life, I've had to hear that word over and over and over and over. And at some point, you would hope that I would finally get it. Have you ever had someone you love tell you, you just don't get it? And there isn't anything I can do to help you. You are absolutely determined to go down this road. You don't want to talk about it. You're on your way. But you're miserable. So why are you going down that road? How long do you want to be miserable? Has anyone ever said that to you? Today we're going to look in the book of Ephesians at the first piece of armor that we're told to put on. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I'll begin with with verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the devil's schemes always involve tricking us into believing something that is not true and causing us to take action on something that is false. The devil is the master at illusion. He can paint the worst possible option as though it were the best option. I've spoken sometimes the truth to a person and had another person interfere and say, you can't say that to them. They have to make their own choice. I understand we all make our own choice. But because of self-deception, our choices are often wrong choices. And God says, put on the armor, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. If we could just get a hold of this one truth today, I wouldn't have to preach again at this church. If we could just get a hold of the one truth that our fight is not against people, that it's not people who are our problem. We're not even the problem. The devil is the problem. And his lies are the problem. And there has to be a way to pierce through the lies of the devil. See, the devil wants you to beat yourself up. 
If he can convict you that you're bad enough, and now you should spend all of your time beating yourself up until you've punished yourself enough that now you're free to go out and sin again, then the cycle of sin and repentance can go on and on and on, and you're never free. The devil doesn't want you to be free. He wants you to always be caught in that lust. He wants you to always be caught in that gossip. He always wants you to be caught in trying to get other people to love you. And you know what? I'm 69 years old, and I have an honest confession to make. I have never been satisfied with the love of any person except Jesus Christ. It is only the love of Jesus that has satisfied the inner hunger of my heart. And I've spent much of my life chasing after love and acceptance, recognition, to try to somehow satisfy that inner hunger. It was an exciting day when Jan and I were finally able to look at each other honestly and say to each other, honey, I'll never be able to love you enough. I'll never be able to make you happy. And Jan said, what a relief. You mean I don't have to try to love you? No, honey, you don't. I don't even want you to try to love me. I just want you to be honest with me about what's happening between us. I just want you to be honest about who Jesus is. And let's have Jesus stand between us. And if Jesus is standing between us, his love will fill both of our hearts and we'll have the most wonderful marriage a couple could ever have. And it was true. He was enough. We don't fight against people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the devil. So please, if you're mad at anybody today, let him go. Because you're the one in bondage. Let him go. Recognize that your battle is not with flesh. Your battle is with the devil. Now watch, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil, and the translation should be for heavenly things. That word translated realms is used 41 times in the New Testament, and it's always in every other place translated things. We are struggling for spiritual things. The whole struggle of our heart needs to be the battle for heavenly things. What are heavenly things? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. I want you to notice it's the second command to put on the armor of God. You cannot stand against the devil's lies in your power. He will defeat you time after time after time. 
And so when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, the day of evil will come. The devil will make sure of that. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first piece of armor that the Apostle Paul wants to speak to us about is the belt of truth. Now, truth, we immediately recognize. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That cannot be the sole meaning of this word truth. Because all the other pieces of armor are also going to be Jesus. He is our breastplate of righteousness. He is the helmet of salvation. He is the feet shod with peace. He is the shield of faith. He is the sword of the spirit. The word is the sword of the spirit. John said in the beginning was the word. He is the word. He is the logos. So this word truth we have to carefully consider. Immediately as I began to meditate on this this past week, it was clear to me that I saw immediately two sides to truth. One side of truth I saw as doctrinal purity, understanding the real gospel of Jesus. The real gospel of Jesus is that the power of the blood breaks all bondage, that we don't continue to walk in sin. He sets us free. We're forgiven and made whole. We're new creatures in Christ. The second thing I immediately saw was the passage of Scripture in Hebrews 10. Let me just turn to it very quickly for you. In Hebrews 10, I'll begin with 19. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So truth, to me, immediately had two parts. Part of it was doctrinal purity coming out of the reading of scriptures. The second part is a sincere heart or a heart with zeal, an earnest heart. You recognize, and we've talked about this many times, but I'll review it for those of you who are new today. A sense, the word sincere was used as a common word in the culture of the Hebrews in Jesus' day. It was used for a person who would go to the market to buy a clay pot that had been fired. And if the clay pot was cracked and the merchant was dishonest, he would fill that crack with wax. So the person would ask the merchant, is this a sincere pot? In other words, when I take this pot home and I start to cook in it, is everything going to leak out? Or is it a whole pot? So 
the writer of Hebrews is saying, come to Jesus with a whole heart. Don't drain away. Don't allow cracks in your soul that drain away the power of the word of God for you. Now, how do we drain away the power of the word of God? I want to share a story that's very familiar with you, but I want to look at it from a different perspective today. It's found in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. Verse 3, then you shall go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, and you will accept them. After that, you will go to Gilbreth of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps being played for them. And they will be prophesying. And the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all the signs were fulfilled that day. There isn't one of you in this room that has not felt the power of God changing your life. All of us have felt that power changing our life. But as we have progressed down the road, and as choices have been turned off for us, have you been changed into the world's person again? You were called by God. You were changed. How is it that a man can be transformed back into something of the flesh that is utterly destructive to himself and to his family? A man sat in my living room some years ago. He was in his late 60s. And he said, Pastor, I've been listening on the radio, and I have to tell you what's happened to me. I said, please tell me. And he talked about his holy mother and how she had prayed for him, how he had made a commitment to become a pastor, how he was totally given to the Lord. But then he had a business opportunity offered to him. And he thought to himself, if I take this business opportunity, 
I'll be able to be a pastor and the church won't pay me a salary. I'll be able to cover my salary myself. And so I'm going to take this business opportunity so that I can make money and I can bless the kingdom of God and I can cover my own personal needs. And I'll enjoy doing the business. And so he got into the carpet business and he prospered. And every time he thought about leaving and going into the ministry, he thought, I'm too busy right now. I'm going to have to just keep doing what I'm doing because, look, I'm taking care of my family. We're just buying a new house. We need to provide money for the kids for their college education. As a pastor, I'm not going to be able to do these things. He sat in my living room and he said, Pastor, I just sold my business. I'm a multimillionaire. I've been extremely successful. And the door to ministry is utterly closed to me. And I have missed what God called for in my life. My lust for money. My lust to be appreciated. My desire to be somebody. Stop me. From accepting the call of God on my life. And he sat and wept. Until I thought his heart would break. I said, so what are you going to do? He said, all I can do. I'll use my money to help ministries. And I'll do all I can as a person. But all the doors of opportunity have closed and God will not allow me to be a pastor. He has taken from me his call on my life. I've never seen a sadder man than that man who missed the call of God on his life because he thought he'd take care of himself, not understanding that God takes care of his own, that God provides for his own. This man saw. He's a changed man. He's filled with Pentecost power. He's prophesying. He's speaking in tongues. He's a mighty man of valor. He goes back home. Many powerful soldiers accompany him to his house. And what does he do? He goes back to plowing his daddy's fields with the oxen. He has no clue what it means to be a king. And he doesn't get on his face before God and ask the Lord to teach him how to be a king. Instead, he goes back to the same old, same old that he'd been doing all of his life. He could not break free of the bondage, even though the Spirit of God had totally changed him and made him into a new person. He delivers. People in a city, everyone says, let's call him again. Let's renew the vow. 
But there is one little hidden indicator. He's been made into a new man, but as they're trying to make him king, he's hidden in the baggage. Now, your immediate reaction is, well, he's just humble. The truth is he's not a humble man. He's a shy man. And he's not willing to step out in the power that God has given to him. Now, please try to hear what I'm saying to you. God has given Jesus Christ and the power of the blood is enough to release you from all the bondage of sin. But if you go back to the same old, same old and say, why hasn't God delivered me? You're just rebuilding the chains that have been removed from you. When he says, yes, I've set you free, we then have to take a stand that says, okay, I'm free. Now that I'm free, what does it mean I should do? Now I'm going to act on the freedom that God has said he granted to me. And I'm not going to go back and play farmer. He called me to be a king. I'm going to learn how to be a king. But some of you are so comfortable in your bondage. It's all you're comfortable with. It's all you know. It's how you always get relief from getting beaten up by the world and the devil and the flesh. And so you want to go back and hide again in that place and say, I can't help myself. I'm weak. Of course you're weak. I'm weak too. We're all weak. None of us have the power to defeat this devil who comes against us. But if we hide ourselves in Jesus Christ and we hide ourselves in his word, we have the assurance that we have the power to walk free. And it takes a brave man or woman to say, okay, I'm not going to hide in my being a victim any longer. I'm not going to hide any longer in my need to be loved. I'm not going to hide any longer in my need to be approved of. I'm approved of by Jesus Christ. I'm loved by Jesus Christ. He has given me all that I need for for salvation and for holiness. And so I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to act on it. Now, why would I be preaching this to you all? You're the National Prayer Chapel. You've heard this many times. I'll tell you why. Because as a church, we haven't learned how to pray yet. And we're called the National Prayer Chapel. And we haven't learned to pray yet because we still think we can handle our lives by our own power. If we didn't think we could handle our life by our own power, when this church opens for prayer at 12 o'clock, every one of you would be in your place, earnestly, eagerly pressing in, praying, because you know that when you're with the church, something different happens than when you're by yourself. And so when you kind of mosey in, I know what it is. It's arrogance. It's saying, I can handle well enough my own life. And I don't need Jesus to do any more for me than he's already doing. And that position is a return 
one step closer to the old way of the flesh. It, it means there is doctrinal truth that you know, that I've taught, but there is a lack in the sincerity of heart. There are cracks in your heart, cracks of anger, cracks of bitterness, cracks of lust, cracks of, of not being loved enough, whatever the cracks are. And it's draining away the power that is resident in the real truth of God. And to, and to change that, we're going to have to deliver by the power of the blood our own heart to Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to take actions that we've not taken before. We're going to have to take radical actions. We're going to have to change our schedules. We're going to have to let go of preconceived notions that are false. We're going to have to become earnest and press in. And I know, Pastor, I've tried it and I failed. I tried it and I failed. I tried it and I failed. The problem is you tried it. The transition hasn't been made in your life yet to fully trust in Jesus Christ. And that's where the power is. The power is not in you white-knuckling it. The power is not in you trying harder. If it were trying harder, then we should change this service into a, a pep service like you have at a sales conference. But it gets raw, raw. Now you're all charged up. Now go try again this week and get the sale. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is recognizing that I don't have any power resident in me. That the power is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is delivering, transforming power. But we have to make that transition and finally stand up and say, okay, I've been beaten enough. Devil, I'm mad. I'm angry. Until you get angry with the devil, you're not going to gain any victory with Jesus. As long as you're on speaking terms with the devil, he'll be happy to continue filling your heart with his lies. He'll be happy to continue deceiving you and keeping you lukewarm, great understanding, big head but little feet. It has to be transformed. It has to be changed. We have to come into a place where we say, okay, I can't do it. I tried. I can't do it. When I get to heaven, by the grace of God, and I stand before that judgment bar, I'm only going to be able to say, Lord, thank you. You did it. I didn't do it. It was your power that delivered me. It was your power that set me free. It was your power that changed my heart. It was your power. That's why it says the saints in heaven cast their crowns before the Lord. Because they know they didn't do anything to deserve to wear that crown. Jesus did it.
So you have Saul. He's been transformed into a new man. And now comes the great test. The Philistines here, there's a, new, there's a king. Let's go take care of this king. We can't afford a king in Israel. And so they bring thousands and thousands of troops together. Saul goes to Gilgal. He waits and he waits seven days. No Samuel. And finally, he sees his men beginning to scatter. He sees the impossibility of his situation. And he decides he'll practice some religion. You know, religion is one of the most dangerous things a person can practice. Saul decides he'll practice religion. He'll make some offerings before God. He'll offer some sacrifices. Now, if Samuel had done it, it would not have been religion. It would have been obedience to Jesus. But King Saul says, if Samuel can do it, I can do it. And pride rises up in his heart. And so he plays both king and priest, violating the imagery that was being laid out for Jesus Christ, who is the king and the priest. As soon as Samuel is finished offering them, Samuel arrives. Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And Samuel leaves. Here's Saul with maybe five or six hundred men against thousands. And Samuel doesn't tell him what to do. You see, when we begin to change back into the way of the world and we begin to walk in self-deception, thinking, if I do this, this will be the result. If I'm here, then I can get this. And we begin to connive in our heart. God leaves. God leaves. And we're left to ourselves. And some of you today have been crying out for deliverance from God, and you can sense no presence of God. Now, I've been saying this on the radio, but let me say it to you all. If you have a specific area of sin that is uncomfortable for you, and you want Jesus to remove that specific sin, it might be patience, it might be temper, it might be lust, it might, whatever the sin is, you have one area of sin where you seem to keep going back to it, and you want it removed, and you go to Jesus and you ask him, will you remove this from my life? Most times he will not answer that kind of prayer. Most times he will not answer that prayer. Why? Because Jesus is not interested in cherry-picking sins from your life. Particularly the ones that cause you discomfort. 
He's interested in a clean sweep. He doesn't want to remove one. He wants to remove all. He wants your heart to be turned totally toward him. If you are struggling with a specific sin and you've not been able to get the victory, stop struggling with that sin and repent before Jesus and go to the bottom of the barrel of your heart and recognize the self-deception that is involved that causes you to walk in that one sin. Jesus wants to go all the way to the bottom and get at the root cause of why that sin is capturing you time after time after time. And almost most assuredly, it will be because of some kind of self-deception. The hardest thing a man or woman can do is look with honesty at their own life. It is so easy to make excuses for our failures. It is so easy to blame others for our defeat. It is so easy to be angry with a mother or a father. It's so angry to rail against someone in your life that you can make a scapegoat for how you feel and what you do. But to finally come to terms and say, Lord, it's me. I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one who has sinned against you. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my fault. I'm responsible. I am fully responsible. And I'm not going to turn against anyone else, for I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling against principalities and powers. And to be honest, Jesus, it wasn't even the devil that made me do it. It was me that chose to do it. I've gotten myself into so many messes through the years. And people have been so very kind to me through the years. Making allowance. Loving me. Forgiving me. But at the very bottom of that, I have to recognize it was me. I made the choice. Nobody can depress me. Nobody can make me angry. Nobody can make me happy. Nobody can make me sad. Those are all things I do to myself. They're how I choose to respond. I have an anger button. I have a curiosity button. By the grace of God, as I've grown older, I've learned to push the curiosity button much more often. Asking questions. Saying, how have I deceived myself? Where have I missed it? I urge you, when you go home this afternoon, ask some family members for the truth about you. And don't be mad at them when they tell you. Ask friends. Ask people that you know will be honest with you to talk with you about who you really are and what they really see. And then don't be mad when they answer. They might blow you off. And then you say, no, no, I'm serious. I need to know. 
I have this reoccurring pattern in my life, and it's a destructive pattern, and I've seen it over and over in my life. Would you talk to me about that pattern? And when they finally understand that you're serious, they'll begin to talk to you about it. And, and it'll be bloody, and it'll be sore, and it'll hurt. But it's surgery the Holy Spirit needs to do in our hearts. This man Saul, he kept walking. He kept walking. He was a mighty warrior. But finally, the Lord gives him direction to go destroy the Amalekites. And he goes and he destroys the Amalekites, but he saves the king and he saves the the best of the sheep, the livestock. Samuel comes and confronts him, but Samuel can't find him at first because he's gone down and built a a monument in his own honor. When you look at the life of Saul, you see an undercurrent that constantly pulls him away from the way of God. And that undercurrent is pride. That undercurrent is self-sufficiency. That undercurrent is refusing to give up himself and allow Jesus to rule fully over him. And finally, the Lord says, I can't use you. And the Lord removes himself from King Saul. And an evil spirit comes upon him. And even with the presence of an evil spirit, he will not repent, but he continues down the path that finally led him to a witch's table. Remember Psalm 23? David puts his feet under the table of the Lord. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. He sits down at the Lord's table. But King Saul would not sit down at the Lord's table. Instead, he sits down at a witch's table. Now, what I'm trying to say to you today is that our life moves along, and it's very hard as our life moves along to see the truth of what we're doing to ourselves and to our family and to other people. But when we look back at the pattern and we begin to see, ah, pride came in. I became angry and defensive and hostile, and I pushed away, and I would not repent. I didn't like what this person said to me, and so I wouldn't accept it. I wanted to be loved. I wanted just to be cared about. That's all I wanted. And slowly we begin to see the behavior patterns emerge, and the picture is inked in our past, and we can't change that past. It's done. But we don't have to end up at the witch's table. We can make new choices because he said, today is the day of salvation. You do not have to continue going down a path of destruction. And your path today may not seem like a path of destruction. 
Often when you're going downhill, you don't even recognize you're going downhill. I remember pulling my car up to a place of illusion. And they told me, now take your foot off the brake and put it in neutral. And I coasted up the hill. Well, how can you coast up the hill? You can't coast up a hill. But it was an optical illusion. It looked like I was coasting uphill. There are times in our lives when it looks like we're making progress. But in fact, we're going downhill. The devil brings these illusions to our heart. So we think we're doing well. We have a week where we seem to do pretty well. Week and a half, two weeks, we seem to be doing pretty well. We think, hey, it's happening. And then we wipe out and suddenly recognize we weren't doing well at all. This last week on the radio, I, I spoke one day about how utterly impossible it is for me to bring revival to Washington, D.C. How utterly impossible it is for me to bring revival to the National Prayer Chapel. I have no strength and no power to do that. The work of God is not done by flesh. The work of God is done by the Spirit. I can speak the word as I'm commanded to. But the Spirit of God has to be listened to in your own heart. And you have to make the decision in your own heart that says, I'm going to give up my life. And I'm going to let Jesus Christ live in me. I'm no longer going to be in control of my life. I'm giving control to Jesus. There has to be that place where we finally recognize our ambitions are empty. We're never going to accomplish it. The Lord has made incredible promises to me. I know that I cannot bring those promises to pass. I know only Jesus can bring those promises to pass. Some of you are caught in sadness and despair, hopelessness. You've tried so hard and you couldn't do it. What I want to say to you is rejoice. Stop looking at your attempts and look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And let him have your future. Let him have your today. Don't beat yourself up for the past. You can never go back. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't try to go back. If you've hurt someone, go back and... Make it right. 
you've wronged someone. But you can't live there and you can't change it. But today, you can make a decision to leave behind self-deception. And you can face the truth of where you are right now in your life. And you can look at the patterns of the past. And you can ask the question, am I satisfied with that pattern that I see? And if I want something completely new and different, then I will give myself to Jesus. I will stop going to this same old, same old places. I will cut off the entertainment that I've been filling my heart with. I will cut off the things that I've been doing to salve my heart in the pain of my self-deception. And I will begin to pray. And I will get angry with the devil. And I will say, you will not control me any longer. I will not buy your lies or your illusions. I am free in Jesus Christ. This is the process of beginning to put on the armor of God. The truth of God. The truth will set you free. But you have to admit the truth first. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to